like to talk to you today, uh, today about uh, trying to measure the love of God. Trying to measure the love of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 is where I'd like for us to focus our attention because that's where the Apostle Paul talks about uh, trying to comprehend the uh, uh, what God's love is, how specifically, uh, what, it, what it entails, or what, how does it work in our life. And uh, it's a challenging scripture because it's, Paul is always so full of richness and so many uh, run-on sentences that just are uh, challenging to, to try to uh, collect into your mind or try to grasp. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, that's where I like to talk to you about trying to measure the love of God. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees and if you want to read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you'll see why he's, why he's praying. He's talking about the wonderful gospel and the privilege of preaching to the Gentiles and how, you know, it used to be that people thought just the Jews were going to be saved and then God revealed to them, no, the whole world is going to be saved, that Jesus died for the whole world, that um, for the Gentiles too, for us. And so he's talking about that. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, because the Ephesians are Gentiles. He says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, which is an old-fashioned word for width, what is the width and the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Aren't you glad that the Lord's power is at work in you? Do you still believe that? Well, I tell you, I believe it. I believe it. If I didn't believe it, I think I would despair that the Lord is not at work in me after knowing him for these, what, 46 years or so. Is it, it might be longer. I can't remember. Is it 50? No, it's 50. It's 50 years now. I would despair if I, he wasn't still revealing things to me in my relationship with him and, and helping me to learn new, new levels of faith, getting through obstacles. And I would, uh, I would, uh, it'd be so, it would be so boring to be a Christian if, um, if he wasn't with me. Well, you know, if it were not for the Bible, uh, God's word of re revelation to us, we would have no idea, would we, of the eternal mind-boggling future that awaits his children, awaits us who are Christians. In the same way, it, uh, it's, we also wouldn't know about the horrible agonies that await the unbelievers. Praise God that he's been so faithful to reveal to us both destinies of both his children as well as the unbelievers because we don't want to be an unbeliever. We want unbelievers to become his children. Amen? Um, Jesus came and he revealed more specifically that world beyond. He, uh, he revealed to us more than what the Old Testament did. Uh, more about, for instance, the demonic world. 
he showed us that there was a there was a there was an evil kingdom that existed the the devil's kingdom and the demonic kingdom and how he was he was greater than that kingdom and oftentimes demons would scream as they as they were as they left people and shouting at the top of their lungs that that he was the son of god you know and jesus revealed those things about uh, different uh, details about those kind that kind of world he also revealed a lot of detail about the destiny of unbelievers and uh, the destiny or what we would what we call hell he you know we know more about hell from Jesus than than anybody else he used the most frightening words to describe hell Uh, earthly words can never express really the greatness of a spiritual reality whether it be heaven or hell but we're left only with words earthly words and so Jesus used those words some of the most graphic and frightening words to tell us what hell is going to be like, what it will be like for those who don't repent and believe on God's one and only Son. Jesus, he's actually saying that it's, it's worse than what the words express. Words are not adequate to express the glories of heaven or the, the agonies of being, of being in hell. He described it as a place, for example, of outer darkness, and yet also as a place of, of, uh, of unquenchable fire. You say, well, how can those two go together? That's what I'm trying to tell you. The words that Jesus uses describe a different kind of place that we can't comprehend right now. So he's trying to show us how awful it is to be separated from God. That is a place of outer darkness where... You're going to be all alone. And you say, you know, uh, but also a place of fire where there's going to be agony. Something that is going to be burning at us. And maybe it's the lost opportunity. Maybe we'll, we'll remember the, the wastedness of our life. Maybe in hell people will be remembering like, man, why did I waste my life? God tried to get my attention so many times. You know? I mean, it was the fear of hell that brought me to Jesus. I got to tell you, I'm so glad that God brought the reality of that hell, of that, of, that, of that punishment, that eternal judgment of God upon me that, that drove me to my knees. It drove me to submission to Jesus. I'm so glad that God did that. I tell you, I, but because Jesus, he, he describes it again as a place of outer darkness, of unquenchable fire, a place where the most awful, dreadful things never stop. Um, a place of everlasting thirst, a place of everlasting memory and lost opportunity. You say, Pastor, wouldn't people go insane suffering there? See, that's why we can't, we don't understand. It's a different reality. Nobody will be insane in hell. Everybody's mind will be perfectly, yeah, it'll, it'll be functioning. Nobody's going to be cuckoo in hell. No one's going to be, you know, uh, uh, having some sort of mental deficiency there. We're going to know. It's a spiritual dimension. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual dimension, which is worse than a physical dimension. Physically, uh, suffering spiritually, Jesus is saying, is worse than suffering physically. You won't be suffering physically there. The physical world's over. You're going to be suffering spiritually there. And that's why Jesus warns that you don't want to go there. 
people will know exactly why they are there, that they have chosen to be there. You know, God is just. He's not barbaric. Um, he won't be, people won't be driving, being driven insane for the rest of eternity. God's not like that. God's just. The suffering is going to be spiritual. And that will, that will be way, way worse than any type of physical. It, it's called the second death. Death doesn't mean non-existence. It just it means separation. Death means separation, for example, here of our body, of our spirit from our body. And there, the second death means separation from God. Totally. Totally separate. Nobody today is separated from God totally. Even unbelievers have God's omnipresence around them. And God have, even have God's kindness protecting them from certain things, you know. But there, there'll be no sense of God's presence. And we must not forget that. And we must not neglect teaching it either. On the other hand, heaven is... Is this eternal union with God, our Creator? The Bible leaves us wondering uh, exactly what the riches are. We talked about that for several weeks, haven't we? And we talked about our spiritual inheritance. We, um, what our riches are in Jesus are a little bit vague. I mean, we have general ideas, you know, eternal life and, and uh, new bodies and things like that. We, we've talked about that before. But we know what's not going to be there. We talked about that also. There's not going to be death there, no suffering, no sorrow, tears. But... What specifics will be there? The Bible doesn't tell us. I, I believe there, again, all earthly language is just too inadequate to, for us to comprehend the glories and the wonders that the Lord has in store for His children in heaven that He's planned for them, who um, the Bible says He takes great delight in. He takes great delight in His children's lives. His children whom um, He loves. He, we, we see it all uh, through what Paul says uh, right now, an imperfect mind or an imperfect language. Um, like remember what he said in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, like we're looking through a glass darkly. Um, we're, we're, our minds are kind of childish. We, we try to grow up when it comes to knowing what is beyond, but we, we're looking through a glass darkly. Matter of fact, uh, Paul said that what love is. He said love, you know, is, is, is patient and, and kind is, um, and it uh, it's, does not envy, it, it does not boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And um, Paul's trying to show us that, that, that uh, this is God's love. And mostly what people know today is what we call human love, and it's just self-focused. It's just self-focused. But God's love is a mystery. And Paul goes on, he's saying here that it's hard to even comprehend it now. And in heaven, the glories of his love, it's just unfathomable to us because, again, we look through a glass darkly. We can't, our minds can't get it. We, we kind of think like children. Um, we can't understand the magnificent and the great wonder of who God is and, and what he's planned for us. But then Paul says this at the end of that verse. He says, huh, but uh, when we see him face to face, then suddenly, we'll know. We'll know. We'll see it. We'll comprehend it. We'll say, wow, I couldn't get it on earth, but I got it now. Our minds, he'll perfect our minds, and then we'll be, uh, oh, I'll tell you, it'll be astounding. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, he said, uh, though our outer self is wasting away, 
Again, the physical bodies. Our inner self, our soul, our spirit is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction that we're having in this world is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we, as, we, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are, are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. About three Sundays ago, we looked at Revelation chapter 21, and I just wanted to hit this again because it correlates with what we're doing today with measuring God's love. Um, Revelation 21, it reveals to us a really uh, precise and really succinct uh, description of the body of Jesus, or the, excuse me, the bride of Christ and the new Jerusalem, which is the church, which is the believers, the ones who have been uh, transformed, have been, have been uh, 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 given new bodies, who, has been, who are now in glory when, after Jesus has returned. John is seeing this thing in Revelation chapter 21. And he said he saw the you know, new Jerusalem uh, and the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven. Again, sometimes we might think that this is describing heaven, but it really isn't. It's describing us. It's describing the church. Um, it's, they are, uh, it's symbolically revealing the beauty and, the, and uh, the glorious wonders of God's love and grace that has transformed the lives of his children or the bride of his son. So, in, uh, in other words, we are, we are his people and we are his city. We are God's people. We are God's city where he dwells. See, it's a spiritual concept. It's hard for us to really grasp right now. But he will eternally dwell within us and among us. The wonder of that. Boy, we can't comprehend it. But it's going to be, wow. He's going to dwell within us and among us. John describes this, the unique features, for example, of that glorified, of our glorified lives in heaven. He says this, that we're going to be beautifully perfect in every way. Just as a cube, and that's what John saw coming out of heaven. He said he's the bride, you know, was beautifully shaped. It was a, it was a cube, perfectly, uh, a perfect cube. The same width, the same length, the same depth the same height, no longer marred by any sin, no longer hindered by the devil or the world, for we overcame those by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Wow, what was John seeing? He says in Revelation chapter 21, uh, he said that uh, those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is a second death. So you see there's these two distinct places, these two distinct destinies. John, again, he symbolically tries to describe this, the work of God's love and grace in our lives through uh, verses 9 through 27 there in Revelation 21. Again, we looked at that about three weeks ago. But God is showing us off, really. He's showing us off to all the angelic hosts. Look at what my grace has done in the lives of my people in the lives of my church. God's, uh, you know, brilliant glory will, will shine through us. There's this, John says, there's a radiance of beautiful colors. How he saved us from the darkness of sin and how uh, he uh, saved us from the destruction of, of hell. 
For example, our lives will have 12 gates. Again, it's symbolic, but they have 12 gates whereby all the promises and the blessings of God come into our, into our existence from the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. God used the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to bring all of His grace through the gates, those gates, into our lives. You know, it wasn't just the Old Testament, it wasn't just the New, but God gave us a revelation of the entire Bible of His truth that has formed us, has, has shaped us by His love and grace. Um, at each gate, there stands an angel because angels have been ministering spirits to us. The Bible says that, that the angels minister to us, that God gives, gives us the angels so that they minister His grace to us. On the gates are written the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and then our foundation is, the, is, 12, is 12 foundations. Uh, it's layers of the apostles, the apostles of the Lamb. What's, again, these are symbolic things. Uh, our eternal salvation, loved ones, consists of all the revelations that God gave us in the Old and New Testament with the Lamb of God holding us high above all the powers of hell because he's the one we stand on. He's the one we, we are firmly rooted on. We're, we're, uh, he lifts us up above all the powers of hell that could destroy us. And just like Jesus said, that he was the rock that we would, and we would be wise to build upon him. Upon him. It's like my grandson Silas said one day, I think it was Silas, when he found out, when they were talking to him about, about, about the Christmas story and about how the wise men came to see Jesus. And he said, oh, those guys built their house on the rock. <laughs> yeah. They built their house on the rock. That's what this is about. John saw his, God's people, their lives were firmly rooted upon Jesus Christ. You see the, you see the you know, symbolism there? Yeah. And uh, following through what Jesus taught us that, you know, wise would it be if we, if we follow, uh, practice what he says, obey his commandments, our lives would be like built upon a rock and not upon the sand. And again, there will be no temple there, there will be no sun, no moon, no stars, and the Lord and the Lamb, they're, they're the light and they're the temple and God's children from all the nations will be there and there'll be no night. So in this revelation, the angel measures the city in the thickness of its walls and it just symbolizes our lives are going to be big in what God has done and nothing is weak. There's no more any weakness. There's no longer any weakness. All things have become made perfectly holy, righteous, and good, never to experience any wick, uh, wickedness or darkness or weakness again. Apostle Paul then challenges now here in the book of Ephesians, verses uh, 17 to 19, to just try to measure the love of God. Think about all that God's... We're going to see it more clearly some, someday. But he said, try to comprehend it now, all the love of God. Um, you know, we, we measure things all the time. We, we get used to measuring, don't we? We, uh, we use measuring tapes. We use rulers and yardsticks. We cups and quarts and gallons and ounces and pounds. And, and uh, I appreciate my son-in-law because he's a mathematician. And uh, I just let him do all the math when he comes to visit me. You know, because I, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of him by making a mistake. But, uh, you know, I, I've tried to understand the metric system. I, I, I'm, I'm old school, though. I cannot get it. I just can never comprehend, like, translating trans, uh, uh, 
kilometers into miles and vice versa. I just have a hard time doing that. Some of you guys are much better at it. Or feet into meters or quarts into liters, all that, all that stuff. But we, we use measurement all the time, don't we? We, we measure things all, all the time. And uh, you ladies are good cooks because of that fact. You know how to, how to put the right amount of ingredients in things. Um, coming a day that if we can comprehend that the measure, the, the kind of love that God has invested in our life, well, we're going we're gonna to understand the, the fullness of that life and the power that comes from God. Paul's his earnest prayer here is that we uh, would dwell, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith and that being grounded in his love, we would be able to understand the width and understand the length and the depth and the height of God's love. Kind of strange, isn't it? Trying to measure an intangible thing. It's a, a strange concept. But the reason why we can do it is because you and I are made in God's image and we can think that way. We can reason that way. And that's why Paul is challenging us to do it. So let's, let's consider God's love here today. The, the dimensions of God's love. And first of all, Paul says that God's love has width. It has a width to it or breadth to it. When God forgives your sins, Psalm 103, 12 says that he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Amen. I've always loved that scripture. That God has removed our sins. As a matter of fact, I love singing songs that remind me of that. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed my sins from me. Amen. Aren't you glad, and I know you know this fact, that he didn't say from the north to the south. <laughs> north and the south, we can measure that. But we, there is no measure between the east and the west. Where, where does the west begin? Where does the east begin? Where, where does it end? We, we don't know. Because there's no, there's, no, there's no poles there. We can measure the north and the south pole, but not the east and the west. That's what the psalmist says. That God has removed our sins as far. It, it's that wide. <laughs> He's removed our sins from us. There is no measure. God's love is so wide, it's like the equator. You can think of it like this. It's like the equator. It encompasses the entire world. God loves all mankind, and we shouldn't try to exclude people from him. Sometimes we falsely think that God loves only my particular kind of people. We don't do it necessarily on purpose, but we kind of do it kind of maybe subconsciously. That God loves only my kind of people. <laughs> he loves only, you know, uh, um, my ethnicity. He loves only my denomination. Well, I have no denominations that think that. <laughs> they, they, they treat you like, you know, you're, you're, you're a leper, you know. <laughs> uh, he loves only my group. <clears throat> I read a true account about a very, um, this is true about this evangelist. He was in the Wesleyan church. That's why I, I know this person. I know this man. He, he said uh, he was doing a revival once, or he was, I think it was a camp meeting. He was doing a camp meeting, and he, he said, the, man, the, the, the singing and the music, they were just inspiring, just so inspiring. It just, it just kind of laid the foundation, laid the, opened up the pathway for, for he said, for me, me to be able to preach. He said, man, I just got up ready to preach. And I happened to look up and in walked a group of hippies. 
He said their hair was all straggly. And the women looked like they had beards. <laughs> Even the women looked like they had beards. And he said, my thought was, oh great, what are they doing here? And uh, he said this Holy Spirit checked him on that. So wait a minute. We have a great opportunity to preach Jesus. They've come in to listen to you. A great opportunity to preach Jesus. And he, you know, he said, you're right, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry about that. Your love is so wide. It includes even the hippies. He said he preached and some of them responded to the message. <laughs> yeah. And that's something. We sing it all the time, don't, don't we? God's love has width. It includes everyone. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Bikers, millennials, people we think God will never be able to reach them or save them. You know, and uh, yet he's reaching out. Ohio Buckeyes. Hmm. Hoosiers. Yeah, yeah. God loves them all. He, he does. His, his love has width to it. It's width. It's wide. It's wide. Paul goes on to say that God's love also, it uh, has length. We, oftentimes when we think of our lives, we think of kind of traveling down a long road, don't we? A cradle to grave type thing. That's, you know, we think that, that you know, as you get older, you think there's coming to, and we, when I was younger, I, th I thought I would never get old. Did you think that? Am I the only one that thinks that? You know, I think of myself as eternally 35 years old. I, I am. I'm, and then I, then I work like, I try to keep up with my, with my boys and my, and my girls. <sighs> they can outwork me. They're stronger than I am. They're, uh, and um, I remember the day when I knew that I was no longer stronger than Israel because I was wrestling him and I heard my back crack, you know. So I thought, uh-oh. I think we're done. We're done that. You remember that, buddy? You remember that? Yeah. And I thought, I think we're done. I think you better, you better, you better let me up. <laughs> oh, fun Sunday afternoon, waiting for dinner, you know, waiting for lunch, whatever. And we'd always be busting up the living room some way. <laughs> but uh, oftentimes, that's what we think of our lives. We're uh, traveling down a long road. And we need to learn not to localize God's love only in our present situation. We need to learn to do that. That God's love is not just only for our present situation. We, we need, um, yes, His love is with us now, you know, for sure. Praise His name. But God sees way down the road. It's amazing how He does this. He sees way down the road in our life, beyond us, and His love is acting today to help us way down the road. Boy, His love is long. He's helping me now through this trial because it's going to help me somehow way down the road. Um, God sees the big picture, if you will. You are tempted to measure His love by what we see happening today. But we might be tempted to think that he doesn't love us very much. Well, I guess God doesn't love me very much. Look at what's happening. Look at all the troubles that are happening. And, you know, like Job, you know, not only did one thing happen, but like three or four things happen at the same time. And uh, we're kind of short-sighted. I recall as a very young Chris, a teenage Christian, 
struggling through one crazy trial after another. My dad watching me try to learn how to determine to love God. Remember he talked to me many times about, he said, David, you're going to learn that following Jesus, following God is maybe 99% determination where you're just going to tough it out and you're going to keep walking forward with him. So I had that kind of a discipler when I was young. I appreciate, the, appreciate that so much. But I remember him telling me one day as he seen me just going through all kinds of struggles, one thing after one trial after, after, after another, he said, David, the Lord must have some important tasks for you to do down the road, some important issues to help people with, and that's why you're facing these battles today. Well, I think he's been right. It has helped me. Some of the things I learned as a teen. It's important not to measure God's love by what is happening to us today. Um, let's consider Joseph, for example. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 30, chapters 37 to 50 is where you can read about Joseph. Um, you know, when you look at Joseph, when his brothers put him in the pit, remember, they were jealous of him and put him in the pit, and they sold him into slavery. He could have thought, I guess God doesn't love me today. Or when uh, he was in Potiphar's house, you know, he was employed, things maybe turned a little positive for him, and here then Potiphar's wife, you know, uh, lied about him, and he was placed into prison. He could have thought, I guess God doesn't love me today. Then you remember when the baker and the cupbearer, uh, Pharaoh's uh, uh, baker and his cupbearer came and they were put in prison and, and remember Joseph, he interpreted their dreams. They had dreams. Joseph interpreted the dreams and, and um, the cupbearer who was restored to his position, uh, his former position, he said, I won't, I won't forget you, Joseph. I'll go back to Pharaoh. I'm going to remind Pharaoh that you've been put in prison, you know, unjustly. And the cupbearer forgot. And Pharaoh, I mean, Joseph could have thought, I guess God doesn't love me today. I was kind of that guy, and here, he, here nothing's happened. But at the right moment when he was released from prison, and then he was elevated to the second highest position in Egypt. <laughs> it was that moment where he could look back over his life and say, well, God did love me after all. And he'd been working on me, designing, molding my character, strengthening my faith, teaching me things all along the way, preparing me for this position that I'm in right now to save a whole nation from starvation. Wow, what a great example Joseph is to us. He said, remember what he said? What others meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah, God accomplished good. We can trust him, loved ones. God's love has length. It's, it's wide. It encompasses everybody. So we shouldn't, you know, think it's just for us. It also has length. God's, he knows, he knows the details of our life. I know, how does he do it? I don't know, but I just know that he does. He's, he's, his almightiness is bigger than that word. <laughs> and he, uh, he plans our lives. He ordains our days. He knows the day he's going to take us to heaven. He knows these things. His love has length. He's got purpose for us. Paul says also that God's love has depth. It's, uh, 
is this, it's the, this is a good one for us. This is what we would learn as we are walking along the path of life. We learn that God's love is deep. And he's trying to teach us the depth of us, the depth of it. God's love is, uh, is the standard for holiness. I tell you, all we have around us today when we see love is, is human love. Is, is, the, is the love, I mean, our word for love is, is thrown around so, so uh, casually, isn't it? That, um, you know, it's, um, God said to teach us. If, if you're walking with the Lord, he'll teach you how to, to learn to become loving in his way where you won't confuse his love with sentimental love. Or, you know, or love that's, that's ignorant or cheapened. You know, people can claim to love someone one minute and then strike out in anger at them the next and still claim to love them. I mean, how many times have we read newspaper accounts where a husband slays his wife, but he really loved her? And even the newspaper article, I mean, neighbors would say, you know, he always seemed to love his wife, and really, he is a good guy. He killed his wife! Or he killed his spouse. You know, you see, it, you know, you see that happening, and you think, wait a minute. God's love. Love. Real love. It's, it's not that. God's love has depth. God's love is the standard for morality. It's the standard we go by. We look at love. We measure our love with his. We say, well, this is what love should be. I read those things that Paul said. Love is long-suffering. It's not rude. It, it endures. It, it's kind. It's patient. It's all these things. That's the standard. Not what we feel. Love is, in our culture, is just self-focused. It's what, what, uh, what we want. It's what, it's what makes us happy, what benefits us. But God's love has depth. It's, it's the standard of morality. It's the standard of holiness. It's the standard of strength, isn't it? You know, that stuff about loving someone then hurting them like that, is, that's all a bunch of baloney, isn't it? God's love is not cheap grace. It's, it's kind of popular to say, and I've heard it said many times, and it's not true that God's love is unconditional. Loved ones, it is not. It is not unconditional because... Um, we sometimes say God's love is tough. It's tough love. But God, you know, to say God's love is unconditional means that He doesn't hold you accountable for your actions. Because that's what we mean by unconditional love. Well, we'll just put up with it. We're just gonna we're just gonna keep on loving them and not hold them accountable for their actions. God's love, you'll never find that in the Bible. God's love is not unconditional, it's conditional. To be able to receive his love, you got to repent. You got to repent of your sin. To be changed, to be, to be touched by his love, to be transformed, loved ones. You, you got to repent and you got to believe in the only one that he sent, in his one and only son. His love is conditional, it's deep, it holds us accountable for our life. That's a, that's a deep teaching point for us today because our culture is, and even church culture is all kind of messed up with that. God's love requires repentance and faith if we're going to receive it. His love again has depth. We have to remember that the Bible reveals God will not tolerate our willful sin. He will not tolerate our willful sin. We can't get away with it and expect God to smile upon us. God's love is, is determined to reach us, but 
when we finally face it, we realize he doesn't make deals. He is, uh, his love is holy and it's deep. His mercy is generous in our wickedness and he requires us to, to, to completely surrender to him though. And when we submit to him, we, you will be deepening your life in this shallow world, let me tell you. When you, when you surrender to God, you'll find yourself going deeper in, in knowledge and wisdom with him and, and you'll see the shallowness of this world and sometimes even the church world all around you. God's love has depth. Lastly, Paul says this. He says, God's love, it has, uh, has height as well. It has height. So we, it is, God's love has width, doesn't it? Paul says it includes everybody. God's, God's love has length. He sees the big picture for your life. He hasn't abandoned you. He loves you right today. He'll love you tomorrow. He'll love you all the way through to the end. And even, even beyond, huh? His love has depth which is, a, which is a, his standard. We have to look to him as to what love is and, and, uh, and, uh, and holiness and morality. And also God's love has height. This is our hope. It, it reaches heaven, doesn't it? This, God's love is our glorious hope. We, we need to remember that Jesus is our living hope. The one who is returning for us. God's, God's uh, will is always raising us up to a higher level of glory. Isn't that amazing? You read it through the scriptures so oftentimes. One of those places in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are, as we follow Jesus, we are being transformed from one level of glory to the next in the image of Jesus. That we're becoming more and more like Jesus in his character, in his thinking. That, that, and it's so cruel how the Spirit, it says the Spirit is transforming us one level of glory to the next. It's always on an upward trend. It's always going up. It's always improving. It's always a, taking a higher road up. And you know, where we would have acted maybe on a lower road as we grow in the Lord, He takes us to a higher one. And, and we look down and we say, oh my goodness, I used to act that way. <laughs> and uh, um, that is the way he is. He, his love has height for us, always drawing us higher, upward. That's his ultimate goal for us, isn't it? To be like him and to be with him. I've heard unbelievers say, oh, pastor, that's just a pie in the sky thing. And uh, you know what I say? I like pie. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I like pie. I love pie, matter of fact. Um, in this rich land of America, I tell you, that, that the downside of riches often plays a part in pe- people's lives. Um, Becky and I have to watch this our, ourselves. That, you know, all people think about uh, is the lowly, the temporary things of this world. It, and it seems like it's only this, those who are sick, only those who are old, only those who are oppressed, only those who are suffering. Only those people think about heaven. But everybody else is, who are doing well, they, they just think about stuff. They just want, especially in our culture, they just want more stuff. Or they want someone to buy them stuff. They want something free. Or they're just thinking about temporary things, not thinking about the height, the goal, the things God has for us. Amen? Maybe that's why God allows you to have tough times, at, you know, as he allows us to have tough times to remind us that this is not our home. Uh, but God in his mercy is allowing us to keep our priorities straight. No, 
nothing here on earth is certain. And tell you, when sorrow comes and our ways and life changes, pushing us downward, God reminds us that His plans are high for us. I've appreciated that at times where God just uh, going through trials, He reminds me that there's a higher day coming. Our sufferings here, Paul said, remember, are not worth comparing to the glory that He has prepared for us. God's love has height. So let me just summarize this for you here today. Right here. So God's love has width, so we're told not to hog it, not try to just keep it to ourselves or to our own little group. God's love has length, so don't focus it only on today's situation. Realize that God's, God's in it for the long haul with us. He's got plans for us. God's love has depth, so don't cheapen it to man's standard. And God's love has height. Don't forget the glorious hope that he's calling us to. Amen? So Paul's trying to say, understand that. Try to, try to get that. We probably won't be able to get it. Maybe in heaven we can comprehend some of it. But, but uh, uh, remember that song? It's one of our favorites, isn't it? The, the love of God. Let me just read that last verse to you. Um, Frederick Lehman is the one who wrote it back in like, I don't know, he's in the 1800s. But he said, uh, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies a parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every one a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Amen. Lord, we thank you so very, very much for your word to us today. We thank you for the kind reminder that you have given us, Lord, through this word about your love. And how you kind of challenge us to measure it. Who can ever outlove you, Father? Who can ever outwit you? Who can outthink you? <laughs> just when we thought that we have, or just when we thought that, that all is lost, <laughs> you always come in the side door showing us a new way. You always show us that you were there all along. Learn to believe. You want us to learn to believe. We love you today, Lord, and uh, we pray that, uh, again, your love will expand in our understanding and we'll realize that your love is wide and it's long and it's deep and it's high. Just like someday when you display us to all the universe, you'll show us off how all your grace, what your grace has done <laughs> through Jesus Christ in our life. We pray, Lord, today that if there be anyone who does not know you or has not been walking in the light, not been walking in the truth, not been walking with that passion to follow Jesus with all their heart, oh, I pray, God, that you will speak to their heart today, that you will give them a desire to seek after you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, bless you. Let's stand together. And again, if you have anything you'd like to talk about, uh, about the Lord, please feel free to to talk to me. So um, give your neighbor a hug, give him a kiss if it's proper, and uh, we'll see you later. <laughs>